We are made for glory. We're made for something more than ourselves. And do you believe that when we proclaim God's Word, that God is with us and God is sending His Word out, it's going to accomplish what its purpose to do? And do you believe that there's a difference between omnipresence, anybody know what that means? That, that God is present everywhere and manifest presence. There's a difference between God being everywhere at all times because he's God. Is that news to you? Because he's God, he is everywhere. But do you know what's so powerful? God shows up in unique ways at unique times. We're going to be emphasizing this, that if we are the church, not just that we are messengers and we're proclaimers, but guess what? That we are worshipers. Somebody say we're worshipers. We're worshipers. The issue is, what are we worshiping? And God shows up in power, His manifest presence, when His people gather and they worship Jesus. Do you believe that there are a lot of places where people are gathering and they're, and they're playing church and they're doing religion and God is not there? There are places even with crosses and steeples and God is not there. God will be worshiped where His Son is lifted high where people are gathered to submit to the authority of God's word. God shows up uniquely. God is everywhere. Don't have any doubt about it, but his manifest presence, that his presence is here. He's with us. He's with us uniquely, unashamed adoration, that his manifest presence, God's people gather in unity and they come and they hear the proclamation of God's word and that they adore his son. It's different. Somebody say it's different. God's glory comes down when Jesus is fervently worshiped in spirit and truth. This is what true worship looks like. Spirit and truth. Head and heart. When our full being is engaged with the God who has stirred our affections of who he is, by the truth we find in his word. And our hearts are so moved that our only response is to ascribe him worth. That's the worship that God desires. And so we come expectant. We can get into patterns where we show up to church and we expect absolutely nothing. Some of us, we just show up to church and, and our only expectation is, I expect that I'm going to try really hard to make it until noon without my stomach growling, without thinking about the shopping list, and without falling asleep. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's lame. That's super lame. You know what's awesome? Is when a group of Christians show up to church and say, God is going to meet with us today. He's going to be here. His presence is going to be with us. He is going to show up in power. We get to do this together. I'm there Sunday early, staying late. I expect the glory to come down. Do you think that God has a little different attitude with a group of believers that think that way? You better believe it. And I wonder where you are at, but something shifts in us when we start seeing we were made for glory. We are the church. The church is the place where His glory comes down if we value what God values. If we're passionate about what God is passionate about. When we're fired up about His thing and not our own thing, God shows up in power. His glory comes down. He's everywhere, but he is specially, uniquely with us when we love what he loves. And he loves his son being adored. Unashamed. He loves it when a group of people say, I'm all in for Jesus. There's no turning back. No turning back. I'm, I'm following him. All in.
God says, I'm pleased. I'm there. I'm showing up. I'm changing lives. I'm changing hearts. So if you would open your copy of God's Word to John chapter 4. So what brings the glory down? Unapologetic preaching, proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, and this unashamed adoration, lifting high the name of Jesus and worship. This is what we're fired up about. Verses 20 through 24. I just want to clarify, in five verses, just five verses, the term worship the term worship is used 10 times. What is going on here? That is super loaded, super charged, short section of scripture. Unlike any other, there's something about what's happening here that God wants us to know. Clarity of what worship is and what it is not. If you're taking notes, jot this down. Can I define vertical worship? One author said this, Tim Keller recently passed away. He was a pastor, pastor of pastors, church planter for many decades. He said, worship is pulling my affections off of my idols and putting them on God alone. So it's a turning from idolatry, turning to vertical affection, vertical praise. We could say in, in the Old Testament, we're going to be looking at this next year, different words for worship. Some of them are as follows, praise, adoration, rejoicing, thanksgiving. Literally in the Old Testament, we see falling down, face down, prostrate, not prostate, don't get those confused, especially when you're preaching. That may have happened once or twice. Prostrate, falling face down on the ground. The New Testament meaning we often see is to kiss the hand, to bow down and to give homage, to give thanks, to revere. Uh, one summary that we could say for worship is to ascribe worth. Literally, the word worship comes from worth ship worthy of worth offering value to something that is higher and that is greater is worship can i ask you this what is jesus worth to you what is jesus actually practically worth to you for many of us, we can even come to church again and again. We can spend years of our life around the Bible. And if anyone was to pay close attention to the details of our lives after we walk out of these doors and journaled what is of greatest value, what your priorities and your commitments are, I wonder how many of us would have any observable patterns and rhythms of our life where people could watch and go, Jesus is worth a lot to you, isn't he? For some of us, there is no distinction of what you value compared to what a lost pagan down the street from you values. There's no distinction Monday through Saturday. Nobody can tell that Jesus is worth anything to you. You don't think about him, talk about him. You don't sacrifice anything for him. And when you're asked to make a little bit of a sacrifice for Jesus, you go, it's asking a lot, okay? I got a lot going on and I'm really busy because he's not worth much to you. Just be honest. I can talk a good game, but in my heart, I don't love Jesus. My life is not a pattern of sacrificing for the one that is worthy of my heart and my mind and my will, of my finances and my relationships. He's not worth much if I'm honest. And that's why Sunday morning is so hard for some of us because when the music starts, the hands go in the pockets and the phone comes out and bathroom breaks are needed because you don't care about Jesus. And you don't want to sing about somebody you don't care about. 
I just don't like singing. No, you just don't like Jesus. You're going to spend eternity singing the praises of Jesus if you really know him, but you have no interest in practicing for heaven. And I wonder if it's because you don't know him. Because when you know the king of the universe, you sing even terribly and you do it loud. You do things with your body you never did before. You do things with your time and your finances you never would do in your right mind before you met him. But he's not worth much to you. So it's just a lot to get up early on a weekend because that's how much he's worth to you. It's just a lot to set the alarm. It's a lot to get up. I wonder how much is he worth to you? Because the reality is he's worthy of everything. But your heart doesn't agree with that. And your mind hasn't caught up to that. And your will is not willing to submit to that. But today that could change. Today it could change. Because we have a worshiper that is ascribing worth but does not understand. Let me give you a few words in the Old Testament, New Testament to be able to back up our ascribe worth. Psalm 29.11. You want to jot that address down? Psalm 29.11. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavens. Oh, all heavenly beings, ascribe. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. And then fast forward, Revelation 4.11. Worthy. Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive all glory, all glory, all honor, all power, for you created all things. You're the creator, and because of your will, they exist. They were created. They were brought into being because you are worthy. May we ascribe worth to the only worthy one in the universe, and his name is Jesus. And we're about to encounter somebody that thought that they knew the one true God, and they did not. And they were deceived until they came face to face with Jesus, and it all changed. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Jot this down. Number one, do I understand vertical worship? Do I understand? If we have a little bit of a definition to ascribe worth, to fall down and praise and adore and rejoice and give thanks, but do I understand vertically this thing of worship? Verse 20 of John 4, our fathers worshiped on this mountain. This is Jesus interacting with the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well in the middle of the day and saying to Jesus, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, Mount Gerizim. This is where the Samaritans worship. You say in Jerusalem. Yep, yep, Jews. Yep, you go to Jerusalem. That's the place where your people ought to worship. We're segregated. We're different, right? Black church, white church, Spanish-speaking church, English-speaking church, right? Baptist church, Presbyterian church, Catholic church. We're all separated, right? Get into your place of worship. Don't talk to each other. Separate. But Jesus said, woman, believe me, the hour is coming. When is the hour going to come? Somebody say, after the cross. After the cross. After the cross. The hour, the time, it's coming. The cross is coming. Where neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. We're not going to be segregated. We're not going to be divided anymore. We're not going to do what's right in our own eyes. Verse 22, you worship what you do not know. Can we pause there just for a second? You worship, but you worship what you do not know. Is that true for any of us? I feel like I'm worshiping. I feel like, who exactly? What exactly? Oh, you worship, but you, you don't know what you're worshiping. Jesus said this, we worship what we know for salvation is of the Jews. See, the Samaritans 
They felt their way through religion. They felt their way through tradition and generations being passed down, and they lost it at some point. They might have had a fragment of the real thing, and then they went down their vein, and generation after generation, they just kind of groped their way through. This is kind of what we do. This is how we do it. I'm not comfortable with other ways. This is the way. This is our way. Our family tradition is you worship what you do not know. And the Jews, they said, thus says the Lord. The Jews had the foundation of what God had said and debating over how or where we believe is not a Samaritan Jewish issue. Do you believe that it continues to this day? Thousands of years later, we're still arguing about the same things. Have you heard it said? Have you heard it said? The more things change, the more that they want, the more they stay exactly the same. They, we just keep re recycling and repeating the same thing. I love that God's word is so relevant. It's so applicable because it's not just a story or stories about what happened in the past. It's about what always happens, what always keeps on happening. It repeats and repeats and repeats. And when we actively participate in worship without a proper understanding of what the truth is, who God is, Something bad happens, and it's called idolatry. Idolatry. And for some of us, we're semi-familiar, right? We've been around church long enough that we can speak some Christianese, and we kind of got some, some phrases or some key words. But the reality is idolatry is, we're talking about religious idolatry. It's God as I see him, or as we see him, versus God as he has revealed himself to actually be. And one of the most powerful quotes that I had ever heard was A.W. Tozer, the greatest thing about you is what you think when you think about God. That's so important. What you think about God is the most important thing about you. Because if you get it wrong, you get everything else wrong. And everything else is idolatry. Well, my God would never do that. My God's not like that. My God would not call that sin. He wouldn't say that's wrong. He would say it's a lifestyle choice. My God and idolatry creates a framework in our minds that we create a God of our own imagination. And you know what's really hard sometimes? We have to come face to face with the reality that the God that's in our mind is not the God that actually exists. And God says, why don't you turn from that version and turn to me, actually to know me? Because God's revealed himself. Do you believe that? God has revealed himself in his word and we come along and say, God, I don't like that part about you. How well do marriages go when we say, I do till death to his part. Okay, now it's time for me to change everything about you. How well do marriages go like that? I love every aspect of you except for most of it. And so for the next 50 years, you know what we're doing? We're doing a you project because I'm going to change you into the image that I want and I desire. Divorce, 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 divorce. Because you either say yes to the person that actually exists or you try to change that person into somebody that cannot be the person you want them to be and you hate the fact that they are not the individual in your mind that you dreamt up. Whether it's God, whether it's in relationships, we have a wild imagination. Idolatry, idolatry. And guess who had an idolatry problem? The woman at the well. She was seriously religious she grew up around religion and the reality is she had an imagination do you believe that christians might struggle a little bit not those that are part of like false religions or 
uh, break off cults, but do you believe that Christians might struggle with idolatry? Somebody shake your head. Are we immune to that at all? Is it like, well, that's their problem, right? Like, we know the one true God. I'm now saved. I said yes to Jesus. Therefore, I will never, ever struggle with idolatry. How and in what specific ways do Christians struggle? Anybody want to get practical? Somebody say get practical. Here's number four, family. Are you saying that family can become too important? Yes, very easily, actually, especially in modern-day America. My spouse, my kids, my grandkids. I will be happy when I finally get to a place in relationship with my spouse. When they change, I will be happy. You just made them an idol. Your happiness is based off of how well they do and how they perform. That's an idol. I will be happy when God gives me contentment and he already has. No, I'll be satisfied, happy. I will be content when my family, when my kids finally come back, when they get on the straight and narrow, if I can spend enough time with my kids and grandkids, when my marriage is in a better place, anybody single in the house? When I find the one, I'll finally be happy when I find the perfect one, when I find my, when I find my soulmate. Mm, thank you, Disney. And we make an idol horizontally. We shop around anywhere we can grasp for I will be happy when because God's not enough. God, you're not enough. You're not enough. You're not enough. My family must fulfill and supply my needs. It's idolatry. It needs to be repented of. How about number three? Stuff. Possessions. I know nobody struggles with this, so I will just speak to myself, okay? Or the friend that should be here that you couldn't drag in because they need this. They for sure need this, okay? So I'm not speaking to you because none of us struggle with this. The house, the truck, the car, the boat, the furniture, the motorcycle, the savings, the investments, the RV, the collection, the hobby, all the stuff. And here's the bottom line. We know this, that is it, is it wrong to have stuff? It's not wrong to have things. It's wrong when things have you. How quickly does that happen? Too easily. Too quickly. Psalm 62.10. Psalm 62.10. If riches increase, don't set your heart upon them. Why do we need a reminder and a command and a correction to not set our heart upon riches? Because that's what our hearts do when riches increase. When we get stuff, our heart goes there. Sometimes the most materialistic people are people that don't have anything, but someday they're going to get it and they're longing for it even while it's not there. Idolatry shrinks our capacity to worship the one true God. We can't worship both. Single-hearted is the only option that God calls for. How about this number two? Career, job, my security is in my job. If my job goes away, my hope goes away, my identity goes away, my identity is in who I'm going to be and the Climbing of the ladder. How about performance, promotion, and praise at work is who I am. How many times can we, we can be honest in God's house, right? Are we allowed to do that? No, should I? Is this a good time to sugarcoat? No, no, no. Like, let's just let's be honest, right? Every single day, how many times do we go home and based on how work went is how our entire attitude is and is how the culture of our home ends up being cultivated. Because when you worship at work, your heart cannot be happy in relationships and home and family. But when you get what you want at work, then suddenly you're a different person, right? 
I finally got the promotion. I finally got the raise. I finally got the job that I've been longing for. We didn't have money. Now we have a paycheck. How long is that going to last? Well, as long as the worship lasts, as you worship and bow down at the altar of the career and the job, so goes your emotional and mental state. It's because it's a worship problem, because it's idolatry. And God says, repent. We can't do both. And last, in America, what is our greatest, our greatest of idolatry? Anybody want more bad news? You're like, can we move on to something happier, please? We will in a second. There is a solution to the problem, but the problem is real. Welcome to America. Self is at the center. Maybe I don't worship stuff because I don't need anybody. I know because you have you and you love you and you worship you. Well, I'm not like other people that have to have all that stuff. I know because all you need is you and everywhere you go, your object of worship is always there because how you feel is what you do and what you feel like saying is what you say. And your decision-making is based on who? It's on you because you're gonna choose what you want, not what God wants. You're gonna feel how you wanna feel, not how God wants you to feel. You are going to say, you are gonna relate to people how you feel like relating them because you are your own God. Somebody say that's a problem. I want comfort, I want pleasure, I want joy. Where do I find it? If the church makes any decision that I don't feel comfortable with, I don't like, I'm out, I'm done. Because Jesus isn't the object of worship when we come to church. And as soon as it doesn't go the way that we want and we demand, we're out because it was never about Jesus to begin with. If it really is all about Jesus for you, then you're like, hell or high water, Jesus is here, I'm here. When Jesus says I can go, I'm leaving. We're fired up about lifting him high and adoring him without shame. I'm staying as long as Jesus is staying. If Jesus leaves the building, you can follow him. If Jesus is not here, if Jesus is not honored and he is not proclaimed, run, leave the building. Don't gather with a people that are not going to lift high the name of Jesus in worship and are not going to proclaim without apology God's word. When that stops, you run. When God stops showing up in all of his glory, then you find a place where the glory is. Not where your comfort is and your preferences are, but where God is at. Go where God is. Where is he working? Meet him there. But we become horizontal church when we make church an idolatry buffet. You want it, we got it. If you're upset about it, we'll change it. The reality is the church isn't even about you. It's not about you at all. The church has nothing to do with you other than you're invited to where Jesus' presence is and where those that want to adore Jesus are. It's all about Jesus. Do you believe that deep down in your heart? Do you believe the church is all about Jesus? It's not even about me. It's all about him. Verse 22, you worship what you do not know. So much worship in the world is ignorance. The worship marked by ignorance. Ignorance of what the call to worship is. Here's a, here's a few passages if you want to write these down. Romans 12.1 is so powerful. Romans 12.1. You got that? Students 12.1. Romans 12.1. So awesome. Such an awesome passage. Check this out. Let's not be ignorant of the fact that worship costs us something. Well, it should be natural and easy. It should be organic and free-flowing. Romans 12.1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Somebody say sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual vertical worship. This is worship. 
You mean like it's going to be really hard and I'm going to have to give stuff up? Yes, that's spiritual worship. Do you mean in order to worship God, I have to like say no and things got to be cut out and I got to prioritize? Yes, this is radical. So if any of us have been part of the church for any time and all of a sudden it's they're asking me to do stuff and they're asking me to serve and they're asking me to do more because our spiritual worship is sacrifice. How about this? Hebrews 13, 15. Hebrews 13, 15, through him, somebody say Jesus. It's only through Jesus. What do we do? What do we do because of Jesus? Let us continually, is that one time and I'm done? Continually, continually. That means it starts with an ongoing, always, never ending until we're at glory. Offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. Sacrifice, praise. That is the fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name. I'm sacrificing in my life, in my heart, living a lifestyle where he is worthy. And that means that out of my mouth comes praises, acknowledging he's the one that's worthy. He's worthy of it all. I'm all in, fully committed because he gave everything. He is worthy of me giving everything. But ignorance, ignorance. If somebody doesn't know something about what God's word is clear on and needs instruction and needs teaching, it's okay to say, I was ignorant. I just didn't know that the Bible said that. Have you ever been there? Lift your hand if you've ever been in a place where I didn't know the Bible said that. Didn't know. So the rest of us are liars. So all of us that raise our hand, we can all say at different points throughout our life, we're just like, I didn't even know that. I didn't know that that was right or wrong. I didn't know that God was clear on that. I thought that was just some preacher dude's opinion. If it's clear in God's word, then what we do is we say, God, I'm no longer ignorant. And when ignorance is removed, here's the dangerous part. Everybody ready? When ignorance is removed, there's accountability to obey. Now that you know, God isn't asking you to think about it and pray about it. Now that you know, he's calling you to obey and submit. He's asking you to repent and turn to him. A moment of obedience. I didn't know, now I do, I'm going to do it. I didn't know, now I do, I'm going to stop doing that. There's something powerful about going from ignorance to understanding and God was pretty fired up to come down, to come down, to leave heaven, to walk without a home, without a place to lay his head. The God-man Jesus was able to enter into the life of a Samaritan woman. First of all, he had no business talking to a woman in public. He broke all the rules. She was out there in the middle of the day because she was a whore, because she couldn't be around ladies in the morning because she was a reject from culture. And Jesus went out of his way, the God-man, God leaving heaven to come after the least of these that were marked by ignorance so that their eyes could be opened. Somebody say, that's awesome. What kind of God would do that? Our God does. Jesus is worthy of our worship because he is a God that is willing to do something like this to remove ignorance, to make us different. Worshippers, better worshipers. The Samaritans only believed in the first five books Okay, anybody know the first five books? First five books of the Bible, Old Testament. It's called the Pentateuch or the Torah. First five books. We've got Genesis, Exodus. Come on, students, come on. I know you know this. Come on, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. First five books of the Bible. And they said, stop right there. No mas. And Jesus said, mas, mucho mas. And they said, no, we're just sticking to the law. Just the law, just the law, just the law. 
And Jesus came to fulfill the law and to be able to open blind, ignorant eyes to see there's so much more than law abiding. There's abiding in the one that was law fulfilling. Jesus did it so that we can rest in him. Keep reading the book. There's more to the story. But she didn't know. She didn't know. Turn to your neighbor and say she didn't know. She didn't know. She was ignorant. I have no idea. We just always did this. We always worshiped at this place. We always did it this way. And the reality is God cared so much to say, I, I want to open your eyes to see that there is more, that there is more. Worship requires understanding. Re understanding. Worship requires understanding because if we don't know, we can't live it. We can't do it. And God expects me to receive his word all or nothing. Don't be a Samaritan. Receive all of it, not in part. And we could walk through the list of all organized religions that say we only read from a certain translation. We only read certain parts of the book. Or in between the Old and the New Testament, we added a few extra books that are not inspired. Or we go even further yet and say we're going to create a brand new religion and we're going to take the Bible and then we're going to add to it three more books written by a man and we're going to call it inspired. So whether add, take away, Jesus is like, just stick with the book. Stick with what's inspired. Stick with what you are, were ignorant of and now you have understanding so that you can worship truly all or nothing. And the word is my authority. It's authority over me, over me, over me. If you've got a copy of God's word, go ahead and lift it up. If it's on your phone, that's okay. I won't ridicule you now, maybe later. But go ahead if you have an electronic or a legit it's an authority over me. It's an authority over me. And you know what? It's pretty awesome when we recognize that this is my authority and it's over me. And it's also a rock solid foundation under me that I can walk on. It's above me. It tells me how to live and who to submit to, who to follow for my joy, for my joy, and also to walk in the way so that I don't go to the left or the right. This is God's word. It's so awesome. And we can't worship properly if we don't know the book. We can't continue to live in ignorance. We need to know what has he said? What is he like? How do I respond? The word is the authority over me, the rock solid foundation under me. The Samaritan woman in the story so far is that there's a debate and there's an argument because she's fully convinced that my argument's right. Like I'm correct and accurate according to my tradition, according to my culture, and I'm willing to kind of fight and debate over this. And Jesus meets her at a place where they're able to have a reasoned mental argument debating about these things, but it doesn't stay as just a mental thing. It leads to a heart change, which is pretty awesome. If you're taking notes, worship must be clarified mentally if we are to worship authentically. It is a mind thing. That's why God wrote a book because he expects people to learn to read and then read the greatest book ever written. It starts in the mind and it leads to an authentic change of life. Awesome, awesome. How about this? Unashamed adoration, it brings the glory down. And number two, if you're taking notes, do I prioritize vertical worship? Do I prioritize? Is this an area that I'm committed to growing in and my understanding and being fully, holistically engaged every single day in worshiping God? Is this an area that you prioritize? I'm not assuming anything. Most of us show up on a Sunday morning and go, oh yeah, a whole week went by. I guess I could have spent this past week worshiping. Instead, I, I did my thing. Okay, God, well, at least I'm here, so I'm gonna go ahead and get my, get my worship on, right? And then I'm gonna walk out the door and go, all right, back to my thing. And I wonder if worship has not become a priority in your life because you're ignorant. You didn't know that Monday through Saturday, 
a whole week outside of Sunday is to be lived as a lifestyle of disciplines and focus and engagement in worship. If you didn't know, you know now. Turn to your ear and say, you know now. Let them, let them know that they now know, right? You know, you know? And if it goes from ignorance to now understanding, now it's gotta be a priority. Verse 23, verse 23, do you see it there? But, somebody say but. But, but, the hour is coming, the hour is coming, and it's now here. I love it. Jesus is like, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. The cross is coming. He's like, weeks away. When what? What, Jesus? When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. There it is. True worshipers worship in spirit and truth. Why? For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Do you believe we're living in a day where a lot of people are talking about, well, that's a seeker-sensitive church. They're just trying really hard to be seeker-sensitive for people that are seekers. And I don't want to pop anybody's bubble, but there's one seeker in the universe. Nobody seeks God. Not even a single one. God seeks true worshipers. Who's the seeker? We're a seeker-sensitive church because we know God is seeking true worshipers that will worship him in spirit and in truth, he's seeking, he is scanning, he's looking. And I wonder, is he finding in your home, in your life, in your week? Is he finding spirit and truth worship? Verse 24, God is spirit, God is spirit. Those who worship him must, must worship in spirit and truth. So we must worship a certain way. All other worship is not worship at all. What God creates Satan imitates. Do you believe that? Whatever God sends forth, Satan wants to come and hijack and bring a counterfeit or an imitation. God demands certain worship, certain way. How dare God demand that we only worship him a certain way? Why can't I worship him however I feel? Why can't God just accept any worship that I offer? You haven't read the Old Testament, have you? God is very specific under the old covenant and clarifying under the new covenant that there is a way to worship that is acceptable to him. All else is false worship. So understanding is key. Understanding true worshipers will worship the Father. Okay, if there's true worship and it's in spirit and truth, what's the counterfeit? How would I know? Would I be able to see it? What is false worship? What is it? Well, here's three of 30. So I was gonna do uh, my top 30. And because I love you so much, I boiled it down to three, okay? You get, my, you get my tithe of my list, okay? 10% off the top right there. You're welcome. Here we go. Mindless, mindless. If I, if I am in the car mindlessly listening to Christian music, worship music, if I am coming to church and we have a worship team that loves to lead the way and they're stretched and they're pushing themselves and they're uniting together and they're growing together, and we show up and have the audacity to just be like, mind numb. I don't know, I was distracted. Oh, oh, we're singing right now. I did not recognize the blaring music. I was focused on other things. I was thinking about my week. I was thinking about what happened this morning. I was thinking about how hungry I am, how distracted I am, that I have to go to the bathroom. I'm so distracted that my mind is gone and it's supposed to be fully engaged year after year after year after year. I can show up and just be around worship through music in particular or worship through the word and preaching and just on, off, no, done, tired, exhausted, long week, not thinking, not thinking. Is that acceptable to God? 
God's like, long as you're physically present, you get a gold star. Way to go, buddy. I don't know what you, you think God's attitude is, but he's like, if you're going to worship in spirit and in truth, the truth better be fully engaged in your mind as you are listening, as you are singing. It's a mind thing, not just an emotion thing. Mindless would be false worship. What else? How about apathetic? Some of us just settled on, I don't feel it, therefore I'm just not all that engaged. It, just, it doesn't hit me in the feels. You know what I'm saying? I just, I'm not feeling it. I just, I just, I'm feeling not a certain way right now. And therefore, I'm indifferent and I'm apathetic. This isn't my genre. This isn't my style. This isn't my style of preaching. This isn't my style of music. It's not my thing. Therefore, I can kind of fall asleep until something more appetizing comes along. God is not honored. God is not worshiped when we're apathetic during times that we need to be fully engaged, head, heart, and hands. How about this? Hypocritical. Oh, do we go there? Do we go there? Somebody say yes. All right, I just need the nudge. Okay, there we go. Affirmative, affirmative. How often are we tempted? Spend a lot of time talking to kids and they ask, would you be willing to meet with my son and meet with my daughter? And the number one thing that I hear over and over again, and these are in pastor's homes, is I'm so exhausted because my dad is such a stinking hypocrite. He turns it on on Sunday morning, but you don't live with the man. You should come and join us. You should live with us. You should put cameras in our house. Then you'll be able to see the hypocrisy that I live with. It's really hard for me to engage in the youth group. It's really hard for me to minister and serve in the church. It's really hard for me to build solid relationships because I think this whole thing is a joke because my dad doesn't believe it and my dad's not living it. Why in the world should I? Hypocritical worship is I can come and do the church thing but if anybody was to walk with me throughout the week, they would not see any lingering effects of that worship and that word in my life. And I just want to ask, is that you? It's one thing to be able to cry and repent at church and then to go back to the same thing over and over again. Do you think that just a few of us are guilty of this? Every single day, every single one of us is bent towards living a hypocritical life. And do you know what worship does? Worship just keeps pulling us back to get back in alignment of living it as a lifestyle. God demands wholehearted, spirit-filled, expressive, passionate worship. And I know all personalities are different. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're different. Yeah, I just let them know. You're, you're a little different. You're a little different. Because we're all different, because we're all different, we're not saying that passionate, unhypocritical, unapathetic, fully engaged in mind and heart looks the same for every person. Somebody say he's not saying that. It doesn't look one way. You have a personality that God has given you. God is saying to your personality, redline your personality. Max it out. Dial it up. You're at about a two. Let's get to a 10 with your personality. I don't know what that looks like for you, but fully engaged, wholehearted, fervent, passionate worship may not look anything alike on the outside but in our hearts we know god this is all i got everything i'm fully engaged this is as much as i can muster up and god is looking for wholehearted whatever that looks like and do you know why he's passionate about worship because understanding worship leads to relationship the reason that god hates sin so much is because sin destroys relationship 
the reason that worship is such a value, it's a vertical value of ours, that this worship thing matters so much because it restores relationship. It brings our heart back to the place it belongs. It brings people that don't even like each other all that much. Just look around the room. You probably spotted about three people that you don't like, just looking left and right. I don't even like them. They look funny, they smell funny, they sound funny. Do you know what worship does? Unity of worship brings people that have nothing in common except for Jesus closer than any other relationship. Worship restores what's broken in relationships, but it's gotta start with God. We're not right. And I'm gonna worship my way back to being right with God in confession and repentance, getting specific, desiring restoration. And do you know what happens? Restoration occurs horizontally as restoration is happening vertically. Do you believe it? I'm gonna worship my way to fellowship and unity. I'm gonna worship my way to get my feelings back right with God because I haven't felt it for a long time. Well, maybe that's because as you worship, you are seeing what's in the way and what needs to go so that that relationship can be restored vertically. And pretty soon, your attitude towards other people, it changes. When you're right with God, you can't help but wanna be right with each other. Could we flip that? The reason you have broken relationships might be because you and God are not okay. The reason you have so much conflict in your life and in your home and in your marriage and with your kids and even in this church or in our communities is because you're not walking with God and you just wanna fix this thing. I just gotta fix it. We're gonna, we're gonna fix this. And God's saying, hello, can we fix this first? Can we get this right? Because that will restore everything else. You got your priorities backwards. They are worth so much. God is worth so little to you. Let's get it right. Let's flip the script. What happens is, God, you're my everything. And pretty soon, relationships start falling in place. Then it happens again and again and again. But we gotta get honest. It's really hard to be honest about that, isn't it? It's really hard. Maybe it's a me and God thing. Maybe it's a vertical thing. God, the Father, is seeking and he's a seeker of true worshipers because he longs for a relationship. He longs for a relationship. Lastly, number three, if we're talking unashamed adoration, brings down the glory, and we're made for glory. Number three, do I experience worship? Do I experience worship? Am I experiencing it? Not just thinking about it, not just studying it, not just contemplating it here, but am I experiencing the power of worship in my life, all of life? Not a Sunday morning thing, my whole life. It's everything. Verse 23, God is spirit. Those who worship must worship in spirit and truth. Do you believe that there is such power in what God is saying here? And I love that he, he leaves us with this. You can't see him, but there's an experience. And it goes on to say that the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. When he comes, he'll tell me all things. And Jesus is like, I'm speaking to you. I am he. The one who is spirit has come in the flesh and he's standing right in front of you. And for some of us, we just think, well, if God would just show up, if you, if you just walk into the room, and can we, can we have a little bit of bad news? If God walked into the room right now, he would say what he's already said. What he wanted to say, he already spoke. And he graciously gave it to you. He is spirit, but he is moving powerfully in us as we acknowledge, God, 
when I read your word, I'm, I'm hearing your voice. And I had somebody argue with me years ago. I just want to hear his voice out loud. Pastor John, have you ever heard the audible voice of God? Just like God talked to people. And I said, he talked to me this morning. Ah, what? 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 Where were you? I was in my office. God shows up in your office and talks to you? Yeah, I hit play on my audio Bible. All you got to do is listen, right? You can turn the volume up. You can turn it down. When God's word is proclaimed, whether it's whispered, whether it's read, whether it, you need it spoken out loud, God is speaking. Are you experiencing the result of that? And I don't know where you're at this morning, but I, I, was, thinking about, I was thinking about where Sarah and I are at. And in our marriage, how, how well do you think our marriage would go if only on Sundays and only at 10.30 a.m. I had an alarm set on my phone and as soon as it, eh, 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 it's time to tell Sarah I love her. And I said, honey, honey, baby, come here. What? What's going on? I heard your phone going off. I know it's time. What is it time for? I love you. Peace out. Until what? Well, until next week at 10.30 because I tell God I love him once a week at a specific time. Well, if God forgot that I loved him, I, I shouldn't have to remind him, right? He knows everything. Honey, if, if my feelings ever change about you and I don't love you anymore, I'll let you know. So can we just stick with the once a week at a specific time to say that I love yous? How adored is my wife when out of duty, I schedule I love yous? and I check it off of my list for the week. What kind of adoration is your God receiving from you on a weekly basis? Is it a once a week scheduled time of, God, I'm here again. Love ya. Peace out. See you next week. God receives zero glory. He is adored. Zero X. Because when we worship in spirit and truth, it becomes a lifestyle, even if it starts as, I gotta commit to doing this even when I don't feel like it. I gotta start doing it Monday. I gotta commit Tuesday. I gotta commit. Pretty soon it becomes, I want to. It used to be, I had to. Pretty soon there is something stirring in me. And I love, I love this. I wrote this down as I was just thinking about, God, give me, give me a word. Give me a word. And he said, all week long worship leads to overflow on the Lord's day. All week long worship leads to overflow on the Lord's day. Somebody say, land the plane. And as we do, and as we do, that we would be asking of ourselves personally, where am I at in this adoration? Because if we want to be a church that's fired up and expectant coming in together, to adore God's Son, unashamed, adoration, vertical worship, that is only going to happen if God's house is filled with people that have been doing this all week long, coming together in hot, white coals, snuggling up. The fire is ablazing unless every individual that's pulled away grows cold throughout the week and we got a bunch of cold coals just getting tossed in and we're just praying 
I hope somebody was walking with God this week to kind of stoke a fire. We just need one spark from one person because we're all spiritually dead all week. And God's son is not adored as the fire is going out. But everything changes when we say all week long. Somebody say all week long. All week long worship leads to an overflow on the Lord's day when we gather in Jesus' name. Thinking about what brings the glory down, God's manifest presence. We know that God is everywhere, but that God shows up tangibly when God's church is passionate about unapologetic preaching, that we proclaim the authority of God's word without apology. Presence, his manifest presence shows up when we adore his son, unashamed adoration, that we lift high the name of Jesus in worship. God changes us as we seek him all week long. Let's worship welcomes God himself. We can't be a church of unashamed adoration unless we're individually adoring Jesus. And I would just ask, is that you? There's no way that we collectively can be a church that adores Jesus if that's not ha happening on an individual basis all week long. If you fall asleep just thinking about reading the Bible throughout the week, there's a reason you're falling asleep in church. If Jesus has such little worth to you Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday, it's no wonder that passivity is the default mode when it's time to worship loud, worship bold, worship with our mind and our heart, spirit and in truth.